Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. All right. Welcome, everyone, to our Thanksgiving special edition of Conversations here with Z and Shante. And we're talking about therapy. And Z, you and I are having an interesting discussion because we're talking about marriage and some of the problems. And Jante and Caitlin are laughing at this because they have no idea how to function in actual relationships and the challenges that people have. So it's a bit of a, we got some different perspectives, but we thought that we would step back, talk about how you can sort out these problems and the role of therapy. So whether it's therapists or whether it's trusted counsel or gurus, how do you benefit from this? In a way, you've got your own unique situation and you've got whatever dynamic is happening and you go to a therapist or you go to someone else, they've got their own perspective on life, they've got their own narrative around how problems should be solved, which may not apply. But at the same time, there is some benefit. You might get some new perspective on how to deal with the problems. Or as you put it, Z, maybe one of the most interesting things about therapy is it teaches you how to listen, how to just put the ego aside, keep your mouth shut, and listen. So we're going to talk about some of the ways that we can use therapy, we can benefit from guidance, also what some of the limits are around that, and how we bring all this together. So I'm going to pass it back to you. Go ahead. Yeah, off, off filming here, we've been having a great conversation, and it is interesting and a powerful tool of understanding when you hear people who are in different positions discussing things. Again, blind man and the elephant syndrome, which we, can, we all suffer from. Just each person sees a piece of a truth. And what I hope that we can do is be able, again, to hover out, be that bird on the wire, and see the whole picture. Uh, Bring everybody up to speed. We're talking about therapy, and I think that one of the reasons that you are, could be, tend to be more receptive or more repulsed by therapy has a lot to do with your background. Uh, I feel fortunate that I grew up in a background where I had very powerful mentors. So I had a martial arts master. I had uh, the great Willie White was my track coach. I had the great Mr. Navies as, 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 uh, as an academic mentor at a very early age, and I had other people. Um, that though they are not mentioned, I, they are, they're still honored, um, that your relationship with them was about listening, not telling. So you knew when you were in the presence of these people that they had a level of knowledge in a field of study or expertise that was so far beyond yours, there was nothing really you could talk about with them, right? And so all you could really do is listen. Inversely, I see the challenge commonly people have. They want to tell people what they know. You get in a room of people and everybody wants to up the other person's uh, curriculum vitae or something, right? I, I know more than you. And thus, there's no mentoring going on. There's more of posturing and competition. And so a lot of us were raised in that environment. Or if you didn't know something, you just kind of, muddled through it until it figured itself out, or you stumbled onto an answer, or you went on to something else. So if your background is such that you were, maybe in, as a child, you were involved in some sort of team activity or sports or something where you just had to listen, it, it's much easier to venture into therapy. And when I say therapy, I don't mean you're sitting across a bench or a table from somebody. I mean cracking a book open, reading the Tao Te Ching, reading Khalil Gibran, reading the Book of Buddha, reading uh, the anything, uh, Marcus Aurelius, uh, Sufism. Read anything. Read the, the writings of great minds and sit there and contemplate what they're saying. Read Einstein, just some of his conversations. Um, Reading these conversations gives you a perspective sitting next to the learned, and you can learn, right? You can say, oh, okay, wow, this is an interesting view of things. It's, by, it's kind of like reading the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu's book. Every time you read the Tao, as simple as it's written, it's a book of 5,000 words. Every time you read it, it means something different. Why is that? 
because the circumstances in the moment that you read it are different than it was yesterday or the day before. And you go, wow, I get what they're saying. I finally understand it. Then the next day you'll read the same passage. It'll mean something different. But in order to do that, you can't sit there and try to say, this is what Zhao Tzu was thinking. This is the way. You, you, you can't even imagine the depth of his mind. It's the same way when you study yogic text. You can sit with one sutra of the Yoga Sutras, and it might carry you for the rest of your life. There's an old saying that says, a day with my master is like a lifetime with my father. The reason that's said is because your father is biased towards you, and that you tend to have entitled affection, be it a positive or negative experience, but it's your dad. If you're with your master, you've had to earn the audience with that master. And what they share with you is often channeled through higher levels of consciousness, seeing you do your best without the baggage or the history with you that your parents may have. And so that's why being in the company of your master, your mentor, your guru, your guide, or whatever, they see things in you your parents don't even see in you. Because your parents mainly want to protect you from the world. So that's why they say a lifetime with your master, or, or, or a day with your master is like a lifetime with your father. But with that, once you've gone through that, and you've had disciplined people guiding you to a better place, then when you run into complex problems in your life, or even just simple problems in general, you tend to look for answers. Is there a technique? Is there a better way I can do this? That is typically your tendency. People who haven't had that tend to muddle along with things and then fall into the domain of the ego. And the ego simply wants to grandize you, tell you you're great, uh, it's ever somebody else's fault. The world should adjust to you. That's what the ego will tell you. And if you have the wrong type of mentoring, then what is the wrong type? Don't ask your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your buddy about how to handle a conflict of certain natures of conflict. Because they're on your side, they're your advocate. They're not going to tell you what you did wrong. It's kind of like watching a boxing match. I remember years ago watching a boxing match and the coach was giving the guy instructions on how to deal with his opponent. He was getting beat very bad. And the coach was giving him good advice on how to make it through the next round. The mother burst into the ring and then attacks the opponent with a shoe. And the guy is now so caught up in protecting his mom, by the time he gets back in the ring, the guy just beats the hell out of him. And the mother just felt just her sheer passion and love for her child, the outcome would be good. But it was devastating, right? Had he just been able to listen to his coach. Yeah, his mother loves him, but she's not a boxer. She's not a boxing coach. She's not even a fitness trainer. So she has nothing to say about that field at all. But because of your affections and sentiments towards her, you can't reject it. So this would be bad mentoring. This is bad guru, right? And you know it's good when they say it's called the bitter medicine. When I train people in martial arts and they show me a technique or something, um, I'm going to go back to what one of my mentors told me. If it works, call it A. If it doesn't work, go back to the drawing board and fix it, figure out how to make it work. Don't even give it a name. So when people present techniques, I was just working on something with John Tay, and I immediately said, okay, let me see it. I had no criticism. I don't know what it is. I can't criticize something. I don't know. Let me see. And I go, okay, here, here's scenarios. It's a scenario-based technique, and I know that the end result is I need to debilitate my opponent. And, I, and, 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 and that's going to go both ways. They're going to debilitate me or I'm going to debilitate them. So I'm going to look at the technique. I'm going to critique it, not because I just don't like the technique, but I want it to be effective and efficient. So the end result is I need, to, I need to vanquish my opponent. That's the, the solution is vanquish my opponent. So John T. and I went over it, we worked out some kinks, and we got the technique viable. So yes, think about life. Let's think about life when things are, are, are rough. You and I, we talk a lot about 
relationship stuff. And I was talking to Caitlin uh, uh, Jante, and of course they had their perspective. Again, it's blind man, elephant. They're not wrong, but there's more to the story. I'm not right because there's more to the story. And um, so what we want to do is take all that data and then in a dispassionate way, sift through it. Say, what's a good way? I told you the best thing for you to do right now at this point in your marriage is eat gummies, right? So, you know, so they, of course you hear the peanut gallery in the background. They're not married. Uh, they're not even that. Look, I have never, I have, yeah, well, there's sometimes you need to take an aspirin. Sometimes when your tooth hurts at the dentist, the Novocaine will get you through, but the dental work still needs to be done. So call that escapism if you want, but you ain't getting around that wisdom teeth good and pool without some Novocaine. Sorry. Because it, it, root canal yeah, hurts it's for unfair to a root canal. <laughs> <laughs> and so, oh I don't know if there's a root canal that's that rough. And, and so here's the point, is nothing good is good because it's easy. And I think that's the mistake I made years ago in a lot of relationships. You, you're there for the good times. But it never, and, and people will say, of course I'm here just for the good times. But I, I'll apply it back to martial arts training. If you're just there so you can knock people out, before you get to that place, you got to be willing to get knocked out. And you have to take some blows. You have to go home sore. You have to have failed. You lost a whole lot before you started winning. But because you aspire to be better at it, you went through those, those failings, those inconvenience, those losses to get to the prize. So I'm applying that universally. When you look at relationships, you know, there's a time where you meet somebody, you're tickled, every day is a good day. Every day is a fun day. Wee, wee. And then time comes on. Seasons change. You have a house note, a liability, maybe a child, maybe these kinds of things. Maybe old hauntings that you never worked out start to show up. Maybe there are family members on all sides that come with them, their own baggage and your own attachments, and that's going to all affect the fun factor. And you, have to, you want to deal with that. Or you could dump there and then try to start anew in a way that... Um, just doesn't work out. You, you kind of find yourself starting over all the time. I think I, I, maybe all of us have, I know I went through that phase where you were always starting over with somebody. You ever been through that? Where you meet somebody and you start over, you're starting over, you're starting over, and you never get past the starting over, right? And there are things in life that I believe that are worth growth. I enjoy running track and field, and I, I have very fond uh, remembrances of the conditioning, the discipline that it gave me that carries me to this day. That marriage with that athletic endeavor is still with me. So when we talk about relation marriage, I look at it as, as holistically. And so when Vin and I are talking about the challenges, there are kinds of things that tend to be universally understood. We're going through a period of time where there's a lot of unhappiness in society in general. And then when it comes to conventional coupling, there are things that are right there that haven't really been worked out. And a lot of these uh, therapy has become a, a big business. And like anything that becomes a big business, the quality of the service often goes down. The, uh, the packaging of the, the participants tends to be ratcheted up. And so when we talk about things, it, it's, it's, we're, we're sharing experiences. So I'm somebody who has never taken a toke on a reefer, never drank a beer, sipped wine in my life. But when I got married and then somebody said, hey, eat a gummy, it was like, no, nah, no. Nah. Then I ate the gummy. I just didn't give a shit for a few hours. I, I wasn't high. Like, like I wasn't floating around naked or anything, uh, doing any weird stuff. Um, but I just wasn't. Whatever it did to you, it like, you know what? I don't have to respond to everything my wife says because women talk a lot. And I, as, as I've said before, I was raised in a feminist environment. My mother told me, listen to every word. You listen to every word, you'll die. 
It's like somebody put a drill in your head. I, I, men and women communicate different. So I started to appreciate that and how to navigate that as I navigate my own upbringing. See, I had to work through my own uh, kind of the mal-narratives my mom taught me about interacting with women that we're not the same. She told me we are the same. We're not the same. We're not exactly alike. Men and women are very different. So once I figured that out, it was like, oh, okay. And then different people would give me advice. Men would give me advice. Older men, I thought it was appalling advice. Like my grandfather just said, just say, uh-huh, a lot. So he said, you talk to your wife, just say, uh-huh, a lot. Don't try to fix everything. I said, but, but Pop, she said something. It's, it's really important. He said, no, she'll say something else real important in about 10 more minutes. <laughs> and if you keep doing that, you'll be running your head. You'll be running around like a madman. Watch what I do. And my grandfather would show me. And they had a very harmonious relationship. And other people say, oh, that's horrible. That's so chauvinistic. It's cruel. No, we're different. It's not cruel. We're different. And so for me to first be able to look and be introspective myself, I needed to tap into those tools that I had from martial arts and track and field on how to perfect a technique. You had to know that what you were doing was incorrect. Then you learned what was correct, and then you start working on correcting it till you became the correct thing. And so all things in life, we can use that as a formula. So when it comes to all manner of human relationships, um, I've learned a lot of things just about human relationships in general that apply to all relationships. Letting people know that you care about them, to actually say that, to say, I appreciate you, or I love you, or thank you. That's gratitude. That's an exercise in gratitude and being gracious. And the more you do that, the more you find yourself able to be gracious in general in all circumstances. So as the peanut gallery was mocking us and laughing about you know, what, what we're going through, I think getting married later in life and having lived a very vivacious single life, right, had a revolving door kind of single life, it's very challenging being with one person. But also, um, it's a different kind of challenge because I, I, I love my wife like I don't love anyone. I've never experienced the kind of love for a, a, a woman in, in the way that I love my wife. It's weird. It's like when I hate her, I love her. You know, I'm not longing to be with somebody else. When things go bad with us, I don't think about how can I get out of here. I think I'm dying. That's what it feels like. You know what I'm saying? It's like my wife is killing me. I don't feel like I need to get away from her and get a better wife. You know, you think about it. Yeah, you think about it. If you can just, you know, maybe she has her cousin's attitude and this other girl's hips or something. You know, you, you think about that, but that's not realistic. You say, I want this to work. Right, Ben? It's like I, if she could just do blah, blah, blah. or Right? It's not like you want to just go back through uh, what John Tan and them did there on the, the tendergram and the... And the the, 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 the double fish date or whatever, the things, any fish in the sea thing, they're, they're on all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to do that stuff. I, I look at these relationship channels and blogs and high value man versus high. I don't want to participate in any of that shit. I mean, none of this stuff looks appealing. It looks like you're just going to walk across the desert and on the other side of that desert is hell. You know, this side of that hill is a lava pit. It's Especially the, now. Yeah. Because the way, this is broader than relationships or intimate relationships. The way people interact, as we were talking about earlier, it's fake as hell. You can't even get someone's attention because they're so used to being on their cell phone. You've got distractions left and right. People are always looking for approval, so they don't even know what they should be feeling. It's like that young woman you talked to, and you were talking about how someone else... I think you quizzed her and said, if a guy came up to you and just introduced himself, would that be okay? And it's almost like she didn't even know what to think. She didn't know what was right, what was not and right. there was no advice that helped her get there because no one knows how to do it. I don't want to be a part of that. 
Yeah, yeah. So then you get the the only times people end up hooking up. I guess you hang out long enough and you, you smoke enough weed and you end up together, or, or you just do drugs and you go to orgies. I think they just both put on virtual headsets. I think that's what's happening now. I don't know. I, I mean, it just you rarely see people partnered up, um, and when it when it is, it, it's almost like some dystopian movie after the world is in. It's like the sequel to the end of the world. It reminds me of the day after. There was a movie called The Day After, which was after the nuclear blast. The other day, I was helping Pretty Tony and Caitlin put brakes on the car. And I was watching Pretty Tony's movement and Caitlin's movement, and it was just really bizarre, right? That I was, I was thinking, wow, if the lights went out, it'd be, hello, boomer. Thank God a boomer's here. Right? But they were learning. They were open to learning. But most people aren't open to learning. They weren't even open to learning. I mean, they were open to learning, but most people are not even, their mind doesn't even go there where I want to see how things work. With that, that inquisitive, because I think it's buffered by so many other things, the fear of failure. And it goes into conversations, right? You, you have to sneak up. They sneak up on each other to have conversations because you have to weed through this kind of filtering. If I say the wrong thing, if I don't align with the right message, yeah. if all this goes right, if I don't have the right pronoun, uh, then the people announce what they like to be called by and they're not interesting people. Like, you're not even interesting and I have to figure out how to talk to you? Yeah, it does seem very complicated. So I agree with you for that reason. It's like, who wants to deal with all this? You've already got someone. It, why not just figure out some way to make it work out? As I used to say, it's cheaper to keep her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just just work with that if you can. Yeah, there, there, it's true. If you can work with it. I mean, there are times that it's unworkable. But in general, long before you get to unworkable, it's about mentorship and guruhood and things like that to really help yourself get to like if you're a martial artist or, or an athlete and you want to achieve a certain standard, mm -hmm. you do everything you can and then you go to the specialist, mm -hmm. right? That's when you look for that higher levels of guidance. And a lot of it is readily available. It just may not come in the form that you want it to come in. Yeah. I, I, and, and, and it's really about us. It's not about it's not about the mentor, the guru. Sometimes their words are, are plain and clear and simple. And I always use, again, the Yogananda method of, of looking for counsel. Don't go for the popular person. Uh, don't go for the fancy person. Go, don't go for the big neon lights and, and the, the drama and, and the celebrity endorsements. That's when you know you don't want them, if they're endorsed by a celebrity. What's that guy that's like the guru to some movie star that's now the Shaman Joe or something. Remember that? We looked yeah, at that. Yeah, tell me about you it. You want to stay far away from that type of foolishness mm. and look for people who are truly learned and they have a passion for harmony. And you can see in their own existence, they've applied it to themselves and they're people that you would admire, right? Whatever it is, if, if you're studying martial arts, look for a martial artist whom you would admire. Maybe not just their technique, but their manner and their character. To me, that's a big deal. Because as a person who is, is, is somewhat fond and understands soldiering, I like the mores and ethics of a person. I'm not saying um, that one should be of a Puritan nature. I'm just saying that I can trust you, mm. right? And you're trustworthy and your, your, your word is good. I look for those quite while you're pushing yourself to the highest limits, you're trustworthy. And, and I like that. I like those qualities, but that maybe somebody else likes another quality. So if, if you can do that, then you can shut your mouth, open your mind, and simply listen. What do I need to do? And you'll be in a better place than you were. You may not even get to where you're trying to get because life's a journey, but you're in a better place. So back to what we were talking about. You know, we talk about relationship stuff, and a lot of stuff we talk about is very universal. The problems that that, that, that one encounters in long-term relationships where you've been somebody a decade or whatever and you understand the whole idea of familiarity breeding contempt. Like you just get used to something 
and you can get used to dysfunction. But in order to aspire, improve, and grow, and evolve into higher levels of consciousness, you're always pushing the boundaries. Uh, can I do this with more harmony? Can I get? Be, can I be more efficient? Getting along, being agreeable, and nurturing your domicile is efficient. Mm -hmm. Efficiency is about sustainability. Sustainability takes you to a place that's generally healthy and well. Right? That's what the planet. When something is sustainable in our environment, it works well. When it's not sustainable, it ravages the environment. So you want to have a uh, an environment that is sustainable, healthy, and nurtured. So getting along and growing that way isn't a rigid metric. It's a very fluid metric. It changes from day to day just by understanding behavior, what you like, what I like, what you don't like, what works for you, uh, developing a taste or style for things, um, being able to reveal your nature, your tendencies. Um, and it's really sad. I know uh, a really beautiful person that just filed for um, separation and divorce. She's devastated. And they went through the thing that you hear about. They, they, they stopped talking. They stopped sleeping together. There was no intimacy. There was no communication. And then there was just the momentum of liability that they had stayed together. We got a house and kids. So I'm just here because of the house and kids. But it's like the memory each day goes by, the memory of their light together becomes dimmer, becomes a, a distant memory. And that's when hopefully you have mentoring coming in that can say, remember your journey, remember the path you're on, remember how you got to hold hands with each other. And it can put you back on the right track. You may not feel good that day, but you get back on the right track, right? And that requires a willingness to accept criticism, to listen and not talk, not tell, and then to follow the instructions. So when I teach martial arts and I say, chamber your leg, roll your hip now, and then people have trouble with the hips, okay, we're gonna work on the hips, and eventually you get it, you can throw a hard kick, right? People don't listen, they'll, they'll, I have people all the time, they'll come and they wanna tell me how they're kicking, I love that. I, mean, I like to do it this way. Okay, now I'm going to beat your ass. I'm going to keep beating your ass until you learn this. And then after you learn this, I'm going to beat your ass. Because you wasted so much time telling me things that weren't interesting that you could have been training. And so too with life, when we're going through something, having that recall of why are you even here? And then getting back, getting someone to kind of re-vector you, get you back on the right flight path is so important. And you can't do it by you. The ego won't allow you to do that. It won't allow any of us to do that. It's kind of like fitness, right? One of the hardest things is to look in a mirror and say, I want to work on this. You can alter your body in any way. Anybody could be a bodybuilder. Anybody can. But you have to stand naked in the mirror and talk about what you don't like. And then you go and you go, note by note, here's how I improve these things. Will I do it? That's one of the reasons people don't like scales. People hate scales. Because the scale is the dispassionate observer. You step on it, 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 I have a scale that tells you your BMI, your body fat, your extracellular water. It tells you everything about yourself, heart rate. And it doesn't care how you feel about it. So you know every day, I know I have a thing with me, when I hit a certain weight, I stop eating, mm. right? Yeah. yeah, there was a girl like that I told you about. She would go to the gym, the first thing she would do was weigh herself. And if she was light enough, she'd skip the workout, and she'd just go home. I like that, I like that. I mean, I think that's reasonable. I think she should do it after she works out, though. Um, I don't think anything's wrong with that. That if that's something that's important to you, I mean, people pray five times to Mecca. I don't think there's anything wrong with that if that's what they want to do. You can weigh yourself. You just need to take agency of what you're doing and take ownership of that. So when it comes to us uh, seeking that mentoring, that can be in the form of an individual that you admire and is knowledgeable of the subject. It can come in the nature of philosophical offerings and literature.
yet the main ingredient is dispassion and the subjugation of the ego. Yeah, yeah those points to me are really interesting in two ways. First, broadening the idea of therapy. Because a lot of times we think of therapy as we go to someone, we sit on a couch, we talk about our problems, and that's all we do. And we get this perspective. And sometimes it's not even a perspective, it's just a one-way dialogue. It's a download of whatever issues you're facing. At times it feels like there's no end to it. There's no objective way to measure progress and say, I've finished what, I've come to a natural conclusion. I've gotten what I need and now I'm going to move on. You get people stuck in the same routines for years and years. And that's not necessarily, that model of therapy is one model. But what you're saying, Z, is that there are different avenues that we can go down. We can use that. We could look at philosophical offerings. We could take people who we respect and admire, who figure things out that we haven't. We can pay attention to them. So number one is just broadening our idea of what therapy is and not limiting ourselves to a particular avenue. Two, the ego part of it is huge, as you're putting it. And it reminds me actually of a story you told about Mr. Baker, your martial arts teacher, about how back in the day he went to some other school and they taught a different form of martial arts. And you guys went there and he was paying very close attention to everything they were doing. And you guys were laughing at it like, and saying, these guys are a bunch of pussies. We, we can kick their ass. What are we going to get out of this? This is a total waste of time. They were saying, no, I'm here to learn a very particular technique. I don't care what they think about me. I don't have a need to prove that I'm better or worse than. I'm here for the knowledge. And that's a unique mindset. Even if I think about doing that, there would be something off-putting about going to someone who you feel is inferior to you and supplicating yourself and saying, I'm here to learn what I can. But if you look at it from a different perspective, what's wrong with that? I mean, you might have incredible amounts of knowledge in certain domains. Maybe you're at the top of your game. Other people might have skills that can round you out. So why, why do we want to allow the ego to limit where we're going to get that knowledge or how we're going to receive that information? And so much of it, to your point, you can waste so much time. You gave that example of people not changing their technique, coming in session after session and doing a kick wrong because this is just how I do it. What could you have done with that time if you're more open and you're more fluid and you're willing to evolve? So those are two things that I think are important, and I'll add a third, and then I'll throw it back to you guys, and Shante, maybe you have something to add. The other thing is, at least this has been important for me, when I think about therapy and personal evolution and relationships, it's a willingness to evolve without a fixed conception of where that evolution is going to take you. And what I mean by that is, if I look at relationships, for me personally, if I were to follow the conventional script for marriage and how relationships work, and do the things that everyone else is doing, do those activities, behave that way, act that way, I would kill myself. It just doesn't work for me. I mean, it's too limiting. Um, you know, I, I need a lot of time to myself. I, I need to do things that are very different. I'm doing this whole spoken word on the side, which is completely different from any of the people that I socialize with, any of the other parents in our kids' school. They, they don't do any of this. They're concerned about how they're going to make more money or how they're going to afford their second and third homes. And maybe that's a limitation that I have. I don't have that. I don't have a house in Aspen or Vail or wherever, but I also don't care about that. I don't need to get dressed up and go to fancy events. Not that I begrudge people doing it, but it just doesn't have any value for me. But that was actually one of the things that terrified me about marriage because I had this idea in my head, like this is what I'm going to have to do once I get married. And it felt like death, in a way, because it felt like things that I felt are very important, I wouldn't be able to do anymore. I would have to confine myself and suppress myself. Uh, so if I'd held on to that fixed notion, and actually I held on to it for a while, and it caused me a lot of pain, which is part of the reason why I started to evolve, my relationship started to evolve. But if I'd had that mindset earlier, maybe I could have avoided that pain. Because to your point, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with relationships. I think the concept of marriage makes a lot of sense. It, it's efficient, money-wise, you save money. If you have kids, you've got this nice unit for your family. You come back from the ravages of the world and all the nonsense that you deal with. You can recharge, you can be in this loving environment. You don't have to think about sex, which occupies a huge amount of people's time or, or, or dating or meeting people. So all of that you can put aside, it frees up your time and energy. So that concept by itself, I think is a very good concept, but you have to figure out a way to make it work for you. And that requires some experimentation and some evolution. 
So those are the few of the things that come to my mind when I think about therapy and, and how to adapt uh, and really chart your own course. Because I think ultimately there's no right answer. It's more principles that we're talking about, having that openness, getting information from different sources, subjugating the ego, evolving. And then where that takes you is going to be different. It might be different for Jante versus Caitlin versus me or you. Uh, but you'll, you'll eventually get to the right place. You kind of beat me to, I was actually going to chime in and make that point. Um, using the technique analogy, it's been, what, it's been almost a decade mm -hmm. since me and Kyle got here, about. Um, funnily enough, it's not chambering that I see you drive on for, it's the fluidity in the hip. Because I immediately go to Master Phil Wong. Mm -hmm. He doesn't chamber his roundhouse, but it's lightning fast. It's a stiff leg, and it is one of the hardest kicks you'll ever see. Capoeira kicks. No chamber, but you don't want to be on the receiving end of it. So it's kind of the technique that works for you. Even as you were talking about your grandfather, I've watched you over the years, and you have a very different take on romance. Where, what's the story? The tree that he planted. He heard his wife mention I would love it if I had some shade out here. Not a week later, <laughs> there's a new tree planted in the yard. That, when I even, <coughs> those are the things that I, because my stepfather's, mm -hmm. I take those cues of, I hear what you're saying, but I'm really watching what you're doing. Because I've been in the long, so my last relationship was almost eight years. It's on and off for eight years. When we were engaged, we were married, all that. So I had to learn to navigate the, how do I deal with this? I have goals, missions, ambitions, a vision that I'm trying to build, but also like you want attention. Hey, step down. Mm -hmm. How do I? Because I'm I'm doing 14 hour days. Right. I'm waking up at 4 a.m. going to sleep at 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. How do I navigate? She wants attention, but I got to get this done. Right. And you know, I watch how he does it. I watch the things he does. And then when my mother first got together, or dating, I should say. He was taking care of what was essentially like a stepmother to him. He was working at the post office doing 10-hour shifts, helping her pick me up after school, uh, going on dates with her two, three times a week. The list is long. And I'm growing up watching this, like, how does he, where does he find the time? <laughs> to, how the hell? Now, 35, I get it. But it took... <laughs> 10, 15 years of how do you do this? Like I know my mom, I love her to death, but she can be a hard woman. And and he saw something other than what you saw. And like I said, familiarity breeds contempt. Blind man, the elephant. We each see you saw your mother the way you saw your mother. He sees another side. It's not that what you saw was wrong. It's just not the whole story. Right. And we want to all be aware of that um, fable and use that in our own life, the blind man and the elephant. And we want to try and move to different areas so we could see the whole thing. As we're talking about therapeutic models, uh, seeking guidance from a guru or mentor, and then attaching that to all the challenges we have in everyday life. If it's a fitness or health challenge, that's what we do here. We advocate for your better self, your health and well-being through, the, through these uh, contemplative practices and, and also through a real basic health science. And we get the result we get. Now let's just pull back and apply that to everything. Uh, in the book of Five Rings, he talks about how all life is strategy. For me, I find that as teachings from a guru. This has been passed on for thousands of years. What does it mean all life is strategy? Every interaction you have with people has a strategy. It could be your kids. It could be coworkers. And then I tie that to a lesson from the Vedic teachings that say, be agreeable. When you first hear be agreeable, it just sounds like, okay, I can't do that. I'm just going along. But really, it's, it, it, it's, it's related to navigating the ocean, right? Is that if you're agreeable to the ocean, you can do commerce on the ocean. If you fight the ocean, you lose. If you understand the nature of waves and tides, and you, you have an almanac of, of storms, you know when to travel, when not to travel. That's being agreeable. You, so you know in relationships that your partner has maybe certain triggers. 
And you can't just go and pull those triggers. You have to first make that person aware of those triggers through whatever means. And then you work with them as opposed to let's push those buttons. I used to do that. I used to like to love it. Find your button, I'm going to push it. Find your button, I'm going to push the hell out of it. You still like to do that. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah, to a degree, yeah. It's, I get fun out of it. I'm sick. But these are ways that you can grow. And again, Vin, you used the word, and, and I used it too. Inevitably, the way that we can weigh things in, in our known universe, is it efficient? The universe is very efficient, right? So if we follow the rules of efficiency, being agreeable, uh, rejecting entitlement is a big deal, and having a healthy portion of gratitude all the time. Because entitlement partners with the ego. And you just walk around mad at all the things you don't have. That's what it does. I should have this. I should have that. And the ego is like a cheering section. Yeah, 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 you're entitled. If you follow, like, let's say, the ancient text, you're entitled to nothing. Even saying that, it's difficult to say. You're entitled to nothing. They say in the Vedas, they go even far, you're not even entitled to the fruits of your own labor. That sounds like that's not fair. No, life isn't fair. So what it does, it forces you to ratchet up gratitude. It's like when you get your paycheck, you say, well, thank you. I, you know, you thank you to the paymaster, the accountant, they got my check, we're supposed to, yeah, this was the agreement we made. But nobody has to live up to any agreements. We live in America. There's no treaty or agreement anyone has to live up to with consequence. This is America, right? Every treaty, every agreement has been broken, right? So we understand the reality of the culture and the world we live in. So if somebody does live up to an agreement or a treaty, you should show gratitude for it. You don't have to shout it out at the top of your lungs and make them more egocentric, but in your own heart, I'm glad this isn't going to be hard for me. You're in a relationship with somebody. Uh, you've been around them forever and ever. Um, you're, you're disappointed or you, you think you could do better. Probably can't. Right? Um, takes a lot of energy. Work with what you got. See if you can work it out. And I, I told you stories I know about a lot of really beautiful women I know that had real heavy checklists in their life of men. Had a list of deal breakers. And they every now and then they would share the list. And it was like, wow, that's weird. That's a lot of stuff that somebody has to feel right about before you, who do, you, you don't meet anybody's checklist, is demanding that these people fulfill a checklist. So you're going to be alone. Yeah, and that's these, like the Indian matchmaking show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Same way. You see the one girl that's going to be alone forever. Uh, she's no prize. And if we all can say that, I think there was a movement for a while telling everybody how great and wonderful they were. I went to a restaurant. Uh, Caitlin turned me on this restaurant. I really like the food, but they harass you when you're in the restaurant, and I don't like that. What's that place? A cafe platitude or something? Cafe gratitude, and they don't harass you. They give you affirmations when they hand. You I don't food. like that. I don't. I, I feel really bad when they do that, oh. and um, I just want good food. I don't want to have that. But there was a cute girl working there, and I told her, I said, "You're really attractive. Why do you even work?" She just smiled. She said, what do you mean? I said, you're too pretty to work. Why don't you just have a sugar daddy or something? She said, I, I, I don't, never thought about it. I said, I want you to think about that. Right? And then when you come back with my food, don't tell me I'm blessed or heavenly. It just creeps me out because I, I, I'm okay. I don't, I don't need validation. Matter of fact, I don't want validation. I just want my meal. Um, but again, everybody's different. And so when we work on ourselves, I, I, if you could just reject entitlement, when it comes to us relating better to one another, nobody, because of the, the uh, whim of fate and a moment of lust, you were born, and all of a sudden you should get all this stuff. No, you're with somebody who saw you attractive and interesting, work with it. As time goes on, 
the newest car you get becomes an old car. That doesn't mean the car isn't good. It could be a classic car, an old beat, beat up car. Your relationship could be a good classical relationship or it could be tired and beat up. It's really how you maintain it. If you know that certain things irk the hell out of the people you're with, don't do it. And if you have to do it, then let them go. Like think about the things that make people pissed off, right? Like my, my wife went to, uh, took the kids up to the mountains this weekend. I didn't really want to go. And she said, we're going up to the mountains. I said, that's great. And usually it's this thing. And this year she just said, I'll see you when we get back. I was like, really? I felt weird for, for a few hours. Then it's like, all right. I will stay. I can go in the garage all day. And it was just an understanding, but it took us many years because she used to guilt trip me. I used to feel real bad about not going and watching her and her friend do whatever they do. And it was just like, eh, eh, three days of hell. And then this year, it was, she said, do your thing, dude. Perfect. Yeah. It's a trap. It's going to come and bite you. Yeah, maybe ass. so. But in the meantime, hey, I'm a party like it's 1999. <laughs> so what helps us is, is that, is rejecting entitlement and constantly turning up the volume on gratitude. And that applies to all sides of the issue. It's like when you're dealing, when we, if we deal with each other, you think about um, however you think it's long. This is a short term we spend in this life. And a good portion of our life, we're going to be old. We're going to watch each other decline. I was watching that Netflix special uh, or show, whatever you call it, from scratch, right? This couple gets together, they go through all this drama, then the dude dies of cancer or whatever. And it was a really good show because Peace told me about it. Because it was really about what counted. They had, a, they had 10 years together. They had 10 beautiful years together. And they died in love. We hope we can all have that. All the bickering, when I see people going through these breakups, they're not talking, and they're beat up, they're 10 years into it, they're five years into it, and they're just both worn out. There's nothing waiting for you. You're like a person who stayed in the battle too long. We have an opportunity to get it together with our friends. I'm real big, too, because I've had these losses on letting my friends know how valuable they are to me. I want to get them, I try to guilt trip them and make them stay healthy. No, I told Kev, I told Kev, you know, after Aunt died, I told Kevin, this is what I need you to do. I need you to die after me. You, if you don't die after me, I'm going to kick your ass. I need you to die after me. And it really touched him. I said, man, I love you that much. I need you to die after me. I am the one that's not afraid of death. But this is, it's not a good life without you in my life. So those little exercises are inspiring. They're open-hearted. Maybe you do it a different way or say it a different way. Say it in your own way. But if we can remember what's important is that there's somebody in that pond when you, where you drop that pebble. When that pebble drops, that's your soul. And that ripple goes out first, that small ripple, to the person closest to you. And then it emanates out to all those people. And life ends when that pool is still. But as long as we have life, those ripples of joy and life and love should be continuous. And that's with all those people. I try to do it with my children, just checking in. My, my nephew came over yesterday and brought his little girl. It was like my grandbaby, Abueda brought Inez. And we just hung out. We went and saw Black Panther and stuff like that. And just the time is so precious. And while I was sitting with him and sitting with that baby, I could feel me being the eyes of my brother who never got to see his grandchildren. I'm sitting with one of the people I love the most in this world who's long gone. I get to see his grandbaby and he can use my eyes to see and be with them. And it was just an honor. It was just an honor that we were able to do something. But that's what all life is about, right? That What's better than that? 
We're going to have troubles and hardships and challenges. God knows the stress is always out there beating at us, you know, the word about this, word about that. But those aren't things I worried about. Those are the things that made life worth living. But we need mentorship and sometimes even therapeutic intervention so we can see that. You follow me? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it goes both ways. Because one, you need the therapy to see that. But two, being able to see that, if you can hold that close to your heart, just that recognition of what's important, that gives you the motivation to find the mentorship. To say, no matter how bad this is or how difficult, I know that there's value over here. I know this is someone I care about. This is something I'm willing to invest in. And then you do what you need to do. I mean, you can scour the world, read what you need to read, seek out mentors, put the ego aside, because all that requires discipline and effort. And so, to me, the two reinforce each other. Yeah, so if we can do that, we're, we're in a much better space. But I say, too, uh, being studious is very important. On your desk or wherever, have those philosophical offerings you can just flip over. And sometimes I've read some of the teachings of Buddha so many times, but I can still crack it open. Right there on that desk over there, I keep a copy of the Mahabharata. And when I can just open a page and it will talk back to me. It'll tell me something that helps me through the day. And each time I do that, it acknowledges that you're not alone. And you can't do it by yourself. You can do it, but it won't be the thing you want to do. Especially when you're under the pressures of everyday life. Right? You want to be able to stand away and be the witness and not participating in it. Be the witness of it. Be the coach, your coach, on the perimeter watching you and then whispering to you the things you need to do to do better. And it requires, again, the subjugation of the ego, um, getting rid of and dispatching entitlement, and just eating gratitude every minute. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.